Thank you for having me, Tim. Uh, why, why run for judge? Well, there are a number of reasons, uh, Mr. Bryant, that I want to run for judge. And the first and foremost is that I certainly want to give the people of Clark and Oconee County the opportunity to decide for themselves who serves our community. You know, Tim, for, for too long, almost exclusively, Atlanta has decided who our superior court judges are going to be. And now, let fact, me step folks through that because it, 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 you're right in your observation. It almost, I don't say always works this way. Frequently it works this way. You'll have, as was the case with Judge Sweat, who, who announced his retirement, steps down. Uh, the governor appoints a replacement. Uh, frequently that becomes a replacement uh, who holds the post for as long as he or she chooses to. Uh Sometimes these things are contested, sometimes not. Uh, Regina Quick was the appointee. Regina Quick running for a full term as judge here. But th this happens a lot, and that's a point that you have made a lot over the course of your campaign. Uh, yes, it is. And, you know, there's nothing certainly illegal about the governor appointing a judicial, a judicial candidate. But I don't think it's right. You know, the people of this community deserve the opportunity to decide for themselves who serves. And we have elections for judges for a reason. And I feel very strongly in the concept, Tim, of local control, in, in what I call the power of community. And I feel very strongly that we locally, as citizens of Clark and Oconee County, should absolutely have the right to decide who serves our community. And that's the reason I'm running. I'm running for the seat. I decided to run, Tim, when Judge Sweat actually announced he was retiring in May of last year. It was way before the governor made an appointment. Certainly, I think all the attorneys in town felt they knew who the list was of attorneys that would be considered. But nonetheless, I decided to jump in. I made the decision when Judge Sweat announced he was retiring because I knew at that point it would be an appointment, and I felt very strongly that it was time for our community to stand up and decide for ourselves. Uh, now, now, mentioned Doug Haynes, your husband, who's, mm -hmm. who's uh, run for and won and run for and lost seats in the Georgia House. You uh, had a front row seat for both of those outcomes, uh, and one obviously more fun than the other, but you've seen it from both sides. A <laughs> uh, question I always ask candidates as they run, uh, I've had a few approach me over the years. I'm thinking about running for the X, Y, or Z. What do you think? I always ask one question. Are, are you prepared to lose? What happens if this doesn't work out for you? Well, you've seen it when it doesn't work out for a candidate. You've seen it from both sides, one obviously more pleasant than the other. But I suppose you're prepared for either eventuality here. You have to be, Tim. You know, when you put yourself out there in a situation like this, I have to say it's terrifying. It really is terrifying <laughs> to put yourself out there in public in a very big way. But you absolutely have to be prepared to lose. That's why it, I couldn't do it. I mean, even if you win. I had this conversation with John Barrow, who, by the way, is going to be in later this week. As you know, he's running for Secretary of State. And he made the point that you walk down the street, even if you win the election, you see two people walking down the street, one of them voted against you. Sure. Because even if you win, <laughs> you never know. But that's democracy. You know, yeah. people have the choice, and, and that's the way it is. And you can't make everybody happy, and you just get out there and do the best that you can. I have to tell you, Tim, I went to Hill Chapel uh, Church yesterday. They had a Family and Friends Day uh, yesterday, and lots of candidates were there. And Pastor Lett gave this incredible ser uh, sermon that talked about the very thing you're asking me, about what do you do if things don't turn out the way you want them to? And uh, he talked about exactly what we're talking about right now, how you have to, you know, 
the sun rises the next mm-hmm. day, put one foot in front of the other and, and keep moving. So. And you still have, we'll talk about more about why you want to be a judge and what you would do as a judge. But I mean, more than that, you've got the most important job already. You're raising a couple of kids. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I, it, it, it is the most important job. How absolutely. old are these guys now? I have a ninth grader at Clark Central High School and a sixth grader at Clark Middle. Well, middle school's fun. Take my, <laughs> you've been through it, so you know. That middle school stuff is fun. Uh, and, and an attorney, what kind of law do you do? Well, uh, well, I was, uh, I'll have to say was, I say that with a heavy heart, uh, a public defender and most recently the chief assistant uh, at the public defender's office here in Clark and Oconee County. Tim, I had, to reti- I had to resign from my position when I qualified as a candidate. The Georgia law and policy uh, requires that only public defenders resign from their jobs. Doug did demanded. not have to resign his loss. It didn't have to hang up or take down his shingle when he ran for state house. Nobody else does. I don't, right. You guys as public defenders. Only have public to, defenders. That's wow. correct. Well, actually, my husband ran for state senate. I yeah, did senate, want to clarify say, that. Yeah. It, I mean, it was so long ago. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a blur. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, only public defenders. And I and I have to say, it's, it's a fight that isn't right. I mean, it is, in my opinion, uh, really unconstitutional that a public defender and not, for example, a prosecutor who is simply on the other side of the aisle uh, doesn't have to resign or, uh, you know, vice versa, that I don't get to keep my job. Uh, It's a fight that I don't have time to deal with right now, but it is it's wrong. I could not even take a leave of absence, I have to tell you. I wow. had to resign. Um, but I have been at the Public Defender's Office for 18 years. And in doing so, I have been in charge of a um, caseload for 18 years here that is hundreds of cases per year. I mean, I have juggled hundreds of cases, tried you know, dozens of jury trials, hundreds of hearings, hundreds of trials in juvenile court, and uh, state court and superior court. And so it has been an enormous caseload uh, that I've had to juggle all these years. And I have to tell you, Tim, that I do feel that that experience is a very crucial one in uh, looking to become a superior court judge because the caseload in superior court is also enormous. And I certainly think that it requires a significant amount of multitasking and efficiency and balancing in order to make things work. Lisa Lott with his candidate for Superior Court Judge, again, challenging Regina Quick there. How do you, you say balance in, in that in all those massive caseloads that you had down there at the legal aid office as a public defender? How do you how do you do that? How do you avoid what some have called assembly line justice and move them in, move them out and, and on to the next one? How do you avoid that? Well, you know, Tim, we were talking about this the other day in the uh, UGA Law Forum at the law school a week ago. Uh, you know, that is a phrase that gets attributed to public defenders all the time, and I can really say that that is not something that we experience at the public defender's office here in o- Clark and Oconee County. We have a tremendous office, tremendous attorneys, and one of the reasons why things work so well there is because we know how to do case management, we know how to portion out, um, portion out, I should mm-hmm. say, cases efficiently. So, How many example, lawyers in that office? We have 13. Okay. And then and plus John Donnelly, so I'd say 14. A typical caseload is? Oh, gosh. I mean, three, four, five hundred cases a person. Wow. Depends what court it is, certainly. Mm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we do at our office that I think is very important is 
Uh, John Donnelly is our chief. Is our chief. We have a chief assistant, which was my position when I left. Um, and those two positions take the cases that require the most amount of time over the course of months. For example, John Donnelly tries most of our murder cases. Um, and we portion out cases in that way to allow attorneys to have um, the ability to manage their caseload. We have two attorneys per case per courtroom. And, you know, you don't go into public defense work or prosecutor work, for that matter, um, to have an easy day, to have a slow mm-hmm. day. You, you go in there knowing that you got to, you know, hit your feet on the ground running and, um, you know, manage many things at once and be able to weed out what is significant and what is not, what is an emergency and what is not. Triage. Uh, yeah, th- this absolutely. is a This is a huge question. I should probably hold it over till after the break, but I'll get started on it anyway. Okay. Uh, what could a judge do? What would you as a judge do to facilitate, to mitigate that caseload? You know, I've been asked this question before, Tim, and it is a great question. So first of all, a judge can't do it alone. Certainly the prosecutor's office and the public defender's office, and private attorneys for that matter, have a role in that. I certainly say that prosecutors have a bigger role in case management because ultimately, Tim, of course, they're the ones that bring the cases to trial. They're the ones that are responsible for weeding out cases that do not need to go to court, cases that do not need to be indicted, cases that are not indicted. Um, And so a lot of that comes from them on down. I would certainly say that that role is very important for a strong prosecutor office to make sure that the cases that come to court are the cases that need to come to court. With regard to the judges, scheduling is a huge component of managing an enormous caseload. And by scheduling, I mean having court all the time. And by having court all the time, I mean having arraignments, status conferences, probation hearings, bond hearings, and I would say the same thing certainly on the civil side. Of course, things are called differently on the civil mm-hmm. side. But having a consistent and efficient um, calendar for things to be in court, for people to have their day in court, for attorneys to be heard on the status of where they are and what they need in terms of are we ready for trial, do we need a continuance, Those things, that clock has to continually be running. More trial experience, you say, than Regina Quick. Uh, first of all, flesh that out for us and tell us why it matters. I've been a public defender, Tim. Uh, Good morning, again. (laughs) I've been a public defender, Tim, for 18 years, and I have also been a prosecutor uh, in Gwinnett County, the Gwinnett County Circuit, for about four years. And inherently, when you have those positions, you are running a caseload of at least a couple hundred cases a year, if not more than that. And many of those cases go to hearings. Many of them go to trials. And so by the nature of your job, you are constantly on trial, uh, constantly in trial, I should say, Um, almost every day, almost every week. And so I absolutely have more trial experience than any of the current bench. And, and, you know, any public servant would have that over a private attorney. There's just no question about it. It's just the nature of the job. Here's a question. It's an oddball question. I'll Mm -hmm. apologize up front. (laughs) Public defender and prosecutor, Mm -hmm. both sides of the legal fence. Which did you like the most? Which did you enjoy the most? You know, that is a great question, Tim. And and I can't say that I enjoyed one or the other more. I mean, both of them were great jobs. I think it is very important, and I will say this for all aspiring uh, law students or young attorneys out there who are just getting started. I think it's very important to practice on both sides of the fence, whether it's criminal law or whether it's civil law. It gives you an incredible 
perspective of what you're dealing with, how the court system works, and how to see what we call in law school the forest through the trees. It is a very important skill to have, and I think being on both sides of the fence allows you to gain that as you uh, practice. Um, I don't know that I liked one more than the other. I've enjoyed both of them, and I've, I've had good days and bad days on both sides. Right, a somewhat personal question to which you are free to say none of your damn business, <laughs> but here it is anyway. Uh, you, you left, if I understand the chronology, you started there at the DA's office in Gwinnett County, worked mm-hmm. as a prosecutor for a time, and then to legal aid. A, a, shall we say, more conventional career path would have had you go into private practice, hang out your own shingle, and get rich. Uh, didn't work that way for whatever reason. You chose, You chose. I gather, the legal aid. You weren't conscripted there. They, you chose to be there. Why? That's a great question, Tim. So, you know, I've been dedicated to public service, I would say, since the beginning of my career. And I have to say that I attribute a lot of that to my parents. You know, my father is a pediatric neurologist, and his specialty is autism and Down syndrome, and my mother's a nurse. And I say that because they have both been very um, involved with... Um, public service in their professions. And I grew up in that kind of an environment and taking care of people, uh, paying attention to people's needs. And so the transition to public service as a lawyer was a very natural one for me, I would say. And um, I certainly, uh, well, I'll tell you this. In 1999, I was in private practice. I was working in a family law firm in Roswell. And I, and I came to Athens, and I got engaged, and I moved here, and I was commuting to Atlanta and leaving at 5 o'clock in the morning and coming home at <laughs> 9 or 10 o'clock at night, you know, just like everybody does. And yeah. one morning, I almost fell asleep at the wheel driving mm. to Atlanta. And I said to myself, this is it. This is ridiculous. I am going to get a job in my community. And so there was a public defender job open uh, at what was called the UGA Legal Aid and Defender Clinic. It was attached to UGA at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applied for it, and it was for the senior public defender in juvenile court. And having been at the Council of Juvenile Court Judges, um, it was absolutely something that intrigued me. And I applied for the job and was told the only requirement was to stay two years. And I thought, well, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been there 18. Wow. So, uh, so that was sort of my transition to public defender work. And it's certainly very possible that had a job in open in the prosecutor's office, I absolutely would have looked at that as well. Um, You know, being a lawyer, uh, certainly it is very important if you have a passion to try to follow that passion, but it is also important to just be a good lawyer, no matter where you are. And you have to remember, uh, it's about how you serve, not about you. A phrase that I hear from time to time gets tossed out there. I don't know what people mean when they say it. Uh, You tell me. Judicial temperament. What does that mean, and then what would yours be? Uh, That's a great question, too, Tim. And judicial temperament is an incredibly important part, I believe, of being a judge. I think every attorney uh, that's out there has been in front of a judge who has shouted them out the door, scared them half to death, (laughs) um, uh, for good reasons and for bad reasons. And uh, I don't think that's appropriate in the slightest. Judicial temperament is a very important part of a good courtroom. And what that means to me is to be, first of all, first and foremost, to be respectful to every person that comes in that courtroom, whether it is a litigant, whether it is a defendant, whether it's a victim, or whether it's an attorney, whether it's a sheriff's deputy, uh, one of the judge's secretaries, law clerks, or someone from the clerk's office. So that applies across the board, to be fair and respectful of everybody. I think also, certainly, a good judge, someone with a good judicial temperament, 
should not get upset over little things. Uh, I don't think that's appropriate in the slightest. You have to have a cool, even demeanor, uh, take things as they come, not get too angry, um, and allow the attorneys to control the case. And you uh, just rattle off a long list of reasons why I will never be a judge. <laughs> uh, 22 days left here. you got to do two things. you got to, first of all, let people know that this right. is something they can vote on and then convince them to vote for you. About a minute left here. In fact, sure. less than a minute. How do you do that? Well, you know, Tim, I have been out in Clark and Oconee counties, and I certainly want to reiterate that Oconee County is part of the circuit. It's a surprise to a lot of people um, that we have a two-county superior court jurisdiction, but that is true. And so I've been out in the community, Tim, since October, knocking on doors. Mm. I have been to every event I can possibly think of, and uh, we're certainly up on Facebook and on the Internet, and just reminding people that they actually do have the opportunity to get out and uh, vote for people who serve in their community, judges and a lot of other people as well. Um, it is a very important message, and I certainly hope that um, people who are listening will tell their friends that there are lots of people on the ballot on May 22nd and starting today. And uh, But that is the challenge, letting people know that there is an election in a weird month which is yeah. May. We're used to November. Yeah, You mentioned uh, the Internet presence. Uh, what's the website, campaign website? Oh, I'm sorry. It's lisalot.org. And, and lot with two Ts, lisalot.org.org. Best of luck on the campaign trail. Thanks for dropping in this morning. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.